Welcome to Unschooling Conversations. Today I am joined by Jyoti and in this episode we are going to talk about the Portsmouth Judicial Review results and the impact that that may have on home educators and a way forward for us in the light of these events. Uh, my name is Heidi Steele. I'm a former teacher and unschooling parent to four school-aged children who are happy living and learning as they go. I've been unschooling for almost 10 years. I blog regularly and organise coaching and mentoring services on unschooling, which you can find out more about at liveplaylearn.org. And you can also find me primarily on Facebook at liveplaylearn, where I provide daily support for you and encouragement for unschooling families. So today I am joined by Jyoti. Um, welcome. Hello. Hello. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so my name is Jyoti Imix and I'm based in the UK. I am writing a book at the moment that's almost complete, which is transforming some postgraduate academic research I did about self-directed education and unschooling into a bit of a guidebook for people that are wanting to educate quote unquote differently and not put their children through the system. And I also work as a consultant and support people with shadow work to transform limitations, especially in the field of unschooling so that they can find the centre and be able to solidly create safe spaces for themselves and the young people that are in their care. Fabulous. I already know that today's conversation is going to be amazing. Um, oh, I should have said something about my website. Yeah, go for it, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find out more about me on my website, which is jyotiofferings.com. The website is currently under construction, but you can pop your email address in and you'll get the updates of when the book is published and also when the website is live. But tell me about your book. Well, my, so it all it all started <laughs> many moons ago. So originally I was a play worker. Um, and play work is all about children's rights, essentially, and creating spaces for children's free action. So there was a lot of, you know, I studied it at uni when I did my undergrad and it was all of the philosophy of it for me was just like, yep, this is it. This is exactly what we need to be doing. But it always, play work kind of exists outside of the rest of a child's life and I was like this is not this is not everything you know it's amazing if we can get some funding and do these little pockets of things but how do we kind of create the whole of childhood as an experience like that so I kind of I came out of academia started traveling and was living a very self-directed life and feel like I always kind of have done that and then lots of different little things happened and I ended up finding out about Summerhill so the democratic school yeah which i'm sure you know all about um and that then led me back to to uni where i was doing a, a research masters into self-directed education through summerhill that took me to the states where i went and visited some schools over there because the thing that i found was that you know i loved the democratic model but everywhere that i'd found in the uk you had to pay a lot of money and that made it then exclusive and again, for me, that was like, it's not, I don't want to study kids that are really privileged to prove that this is a thing. It kind of defies the whole 
the whole thing. So I went over to the States and visited a few schools there and they were foot schools clusters of self-directed action um one of them was like a more Sudbury school model and the other one was something called an agile learning center yeah yep um so visiting both of those was just like yes this is how it works this is how it works in action and in LA they've actually got some funding through the charter schools movement to be able to fund these projects so I managed to see like really sort of different approaches that both had the unschooling. So like with the Agile Learning Center, there was a lot more, you know, this we're doing, we're offering lots and lots of different things here on purpose, but you know, everyone can choose to opt in and out, but there was a real like richness in that. But then the Sudbury school was more, you know, totally self-directed and there was nothing offered unless it was asked for. And there was something within children's ownership of the space that came through that. So all of this was like fantastic. And then I got to a point of like, I can't be in the university institution anymore. I'd spoken at this conference and it was just like, everything about it was the opposite of what I was feeling that we needed to do and to bring forth. And, you know, there was this like weird hierarchy and this like, education's amazing and aren't we all so much? And that whole thing, I was like, oh, this is making me feel sick. And also what is it actually doing? You know, what? If I publish this paper as a paper, what's actually going to come from it, you know, and I can have only so many conversations with people, you know, and my friends and all the rest of it. But that then kind of a few years passed by this point. And then I realized, like, no, I need to write a book about it, you know, so that's kind of what the book's all about and how it ended up happening as well, because, yeah, it just it feels like there's been so many different experiences. I don't have any children of my own, um, but there's such a, always been such a fierce thing within me about children's rights and, you know, children as a minority group that are really oppressed. And, you know, because of the setup of everything, we've got to, we've got to be advocates, you know, and I know a lot of people that have children and, you know, with unschooling, there's not, like you were saying, there's not really very many people speaking about it or demonstrating it and because there's so much stigma around it as well even the people that i know that are doing it kind of doing it secretly because they don't want to attract all of the you know the negativity and the criticism from you know friends and family that are like so what you do at your homeschooling that in itself like you're doing homeschooling but then to be like yeah and i'm not really putting anything in that i'm not shaping that I think for the majority of people, they kind of see it as some kind of neglect, don't they? Yes, that's absolutely true. I have so many questions for you. We will get round to talking about the Portsmouth thing in a minute. <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I have a very similar background, actually. So I'll, tell you, I'll tell you about me. Tell me about you, though, as well. Um, because I trained to be a teacher in early years was my um, sort of specialist. So I actually qualified for the whole of primary. Yes. Um, but my specialist was early years. So a lot of my training was in um, children's natural development. Yeah. Um, and and sort of play based learning, which I was really fortunate that I went to a university which um, sort of coupled those two things and instead of turning that play-based learning into we need to turn our objectives into something that's fun for the children to do 
um, really actually um, managed to couple the things together and, and look at how children's natural inclination to play and the things that they were naturally drawn to enabled them to learn all the things they needed to learn. Um, so I was really fortunate in, in that and I worked um, I worked in a, in a whole range of things because I was working for about 10 years. Um, I primarily worked in early years. I did a lot of work with um, children who had English as an additional language. Um, and I worked for four years with children who were asylum seekers, um, which effectively meant that when they entered into the school system, they most of them had zero English. Um, so when you talk about being an advocate for children and, and, and oppressed groups, um, even, you know, and I could talk a lot about those, those children, you know, they, they obviously were asylum seekers and they came with a vast amount of experience, good and bad, um, and traumatic even. Um, and then they were put in classrooms where they were effectively, because they couldn't speak English, they were effectively probably made to feel, but are certainly treated as if they were incapable of learning academics or incapable of learning, um, which of course isn't true. They just couldn't access it in English. Anyway, so there was that whole thing. Um, I did that for a long time. Um, yeah, I did lots of things. Um, so yeah, so quite a similar background in terms of my training actually and my experience in schools led me to really really open my eyes to say what is going on I don't I don't want to do this anymore um I you know being an advocate in schools is incredibly difficult because it's just not it's just not possible it's not what the government wants and it's not um it's not really possible to achieve um I have hats I know people that really are campaigning in those areas and hats off to them um it's not something I feel able to do at this moment in time um and then obviously I had my own children and I just was like it's not they're not going I'm not putting them in that space um and obviously as part of my training decided that I wasn't going to homeschool in the terms of creating school at home um <laughs> that that wasn't going to be a route that we were going to yeah. follow um, so, so my children have never been to school. I've got four children. They've never been to school. This makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, really happy too. Um, it, it makes me incredibly happy. They've never been to school. Um, so my eldest is fourteen. Wow, you're amazing. <laughs> and then I've got a twelve-year-old, wow. a nine-year-old, and a seven-year-old. Um, and and I. So when I do the introduction for the podcast, I always say they're just they're really happy living. They're just happy living their lives and learning as they go. You know, that's that's how we that's how we do things. Um, and it's. And the longer that we've done it. So in the beginning, I thought I said, you know, a lot and a lot. Of, you hear this a lot in home educating books, you know, on the continent, they don't teach children things until they're seven. So you think, OK, well, I'll just. I'll just do this until they're seven or, you know, just for this term or this academic year. And we'll just review how it goes. We'll see how it goes. And by the time my eldest got seven, it was just like, no, this is this is too good. We're not going to, you know, we're just carried on. Um, and then it's like 10 years later. <laughs> so I guess really the reason that we're in contact <laughs> is because of the review that's been released this 
week, mm -hmm. um, the Portsmouth Judicial Review. Yeah, and then there are certain things in the um, in the review that have caused some strong reactions amongst the home educating community yeah. and some a uh, little bit of shock maybe yeah um certainly a lot of fear in what i've been reading online in groups in the last week yeah. um i'm trying to see if i can find the paragraph that is let's go here because i think it's on this one thing even when i find it so talk to me a little bit while i'm trying to find it talk to me a little bit about your um experience of maybe navigating around <laughs> yeah. different different because i know particularly in the states there's actually this the states are obviously have different uh laws and regulations based on what state they're in yeah, yeah. um so maybe you could talk a bit, little bit about your experience with those different things and what you've seen so my both the schools that i went to visit schools with uh inverted commas um they were both in la which is in california um and therefore they were both kind of under the same legalities and legislation so in that area people were able to homeschool and able to unschool as long as they were proving the learning so at first that's like what how do we possibly prove learning especially when we're unschooling but the way that both of them had set it up um was that it was basically like you know like in early years this like documenting what's been created so sort of taking pictures of the day just what people got up to during the day taking pictures of it and then it was kind of the adults responsibility to be like okay we're going to say that oh because we can see that this is what's been learned or experienced in this moment we're going to say that that's what's happening you know so it didn't actually it wasn't it didn't fall on the young people to have to sort of change anything or for them to have to prove anything or for anything to be set up it was just about being able to document and it, you know very simply they did it with photographs and sometimes you know pieces of things that pieces of work and whatever that work creations that had uh, been created in the space that was enough you know and it was just about being able to because i think sometimes it can be really easy to just be like to go into fight mode straight away it's like no i will not prove this why do i have to prove this but the thing that i always sort of think about within situations like this and you know this is similar to things that are going on on the planet globally at the moment anyway but most of us did go to school you know in the traditional sense and there were rules at school that when a teacher was in front of you, you followed but then when the teacher wasn't there you got on with doing whatever you wanted to do or you know looking however you wanted to look so like I remember like our thing was you got to have your top button done at all times nobody ever had the top button done but then when a teacher came because you knew that you were probably going to get in some kind of trouble if you didn't you put your top button up you know and I think there's something in that of like the way that the world is at the moment you know we we've got to navigate it somehow and I think it's really important to fight when we need to fight but also to try and find a path that means that we're not potentially going to lose 
the freedoms that we've got as well um so yeah that's kind of what i saw when i was in the states was just this yeah you document it document it and explain it and you know you kind of as the adult draw the the lines between what's been demonstrated so that then you know the overarching the overseers can kind of see it through that perspective yeah it's an interesting um because that's one of the things that was that came out in the in the um review was that the degree of evidence provided by the home educators wasn't enough in a report format and it um boiled down to two things um firstly that there wasn't enough information to um prove that there was a suitable education which suitable education is sort of a yeah. um you know legal uh, term for home educators um yeah so it didn't prove that there was a suitable education and then the judge went on to outline um what a reasonable person should um expect from someone which was um providing samples of work providing marked work providing work that shows progress um and it really clashes with the guidance for parents that says um of course it would be helpful if you provided these things but it's not necessary and other things that it says in that guidance are things like your child doesn't have to be doing you know following a curriculum because that's one of the things you mentioned your child doesn't have to be following a curriculum your child doesn't have to be um producing work or 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 and a lot of the times we refer to that work or that those creations those whatever it is that they're, they're doing as the child's own work and that and therefore it belongs to the child you know their intellectual property um so for a long time um particularly maybe unschoolers have said that that work is theirs and to take my reports my um eyewitness report of what they're doing as evidence which brings me on to the second thing which is paragraph 94 which is very long um but says that um parents can't be trusted um and a report alone is uh, not sufficient which riles me on so many levels um yeah and and in fact it talks about in examples that they give of things that you can do you can get a so you could maybe get a tutor or if you're if and this is all if if your child had a tutor or if your child attended groups regularly um you could ask the people in charge of those groups to write a report mm. which bothers me intensely because as someone who's an who is a qualified teacher i could by rights run a group and mm. i could by rights write reports on all the children in that group except for my own children because when i become the parent and swap into the role of a parent i'm no longer trusted to write a report it just i'm a little bit angry yeah. <laughs> Sorry. it no. just blows my mind that that's you know so when we talk about evidencing at what point 
according to this judge yeah. at what point does that evidencing um become untrustworthy um because it's done by the by the parents and it's 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 quite a, a pattern as well in because a lot of the time there's this thing that's put forth of like neglect you know so it's well what we're actually doing here is we're ensuring that parents are not neglecting their children and therefore you know they have to prove blah 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 but we also can't trust the parents because they, we think that they're neglecting the children and this is kind of the, the historical thing with all the all the legislation that really restricts children's freedom in all aspects of life you know it's generally come forward after one big sensationalized story of neglect that's then you know everybody's got really hyped about it and then it's seen as this you know it's a political move it's then seen as this like champion thing to introduce this limiting legislation because really it's about protection but is it really about protection we know that it's not about protection but it's that same that same pattern all the time of like you know we'll kind of highlight these things that could be seen as as risk or neglect and then we'll step forward with this really limiting you know limiting rules limiting law and it's celebrated by many as a result of that sort of campaign that's been created it's like yay they're, they're looking after their children and all the while children's freedom and human freedom is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller no you're right it has this it's it has this um like the opposite effect like we think we're doing this but actually what's happening or the, the result of what we're doing is is yeah. the opposite of what yeah. we yeah. Yeah. is what we want and i and I have quite a, a strong feeling about how observing children changes what they're doing and changes their interaction with the world around them. Um, and I think this can be quite subtle. I don't think many people would necessarily see it or identify it, um, but then there are, parents out there myself included who have got children who are very vocal about these things um they don't they don't want to be photographed for a start i mean but that's the bottom line um and if they for want of a better word caught me writing things down about them um they'd run a mile mm -hmm. um they <laughs> and that changes what they do because that then changes the conversations they share with me or when we're doing an activity um, together or we're watching something together they're very conscious or so these my children I'm I'm thinking of and, and other children I think maybe even subconsciously are aware that what they're doing is being observed and then that changes what they're doing and it changes how they behave and I don't think that changes for the better mm -hmm. um and that worries me but it also worries me that there are some children out there who will outright refuse mm -hmm. to um be photographed so when we talk about documenting things mm -hmm. um that becomes less of a certainly not an easy option um and I would be 
in the case of my children specifically, less aware of what they're doing because they would be less likely to share those things with me. Um, which again causes a little bit of a problem. So therefore I'm going to summarize those things by saying that the review is slightly ableist and very narrow-minded because when you set out and say this is how I want to see evidence you are you are shoving everybody down the same path which is what they do in school yeah and mostly that's the reason why you know over you know if you want to give a broad re reason for home educating home educators home educate because school doesn't work for them um so you're sort of it does I, so it's really narrow-minded um but I um convinced that as unschoolers we can find a way we're a creative bunch um and i think we're quite um i want to say broad-minded in terms of you know seeking alternatives like how can we do this how can we make this work mm -hmm. um but it will be interesting to see what we come up <laughs> what we come up with um, you know, and there's lots of things out there that people are already talking about. My like, concern at the moment is everyone's responding from a place of fear. Um, and that, that's not always helpful. And like, I personally like to just step back and wait and yeah, yeah. like this, just get a good, try and get a, a, a good lay of the land um, yeah. once the dust has settled. But And I think maybe as well, like within that, you know, it's also talking to the young people because you've got these incredible unschooled minds that, you know, again, as you say, the unschooling community is very creative and, you know, to kind of to let the young people in on the re the collective reality that we're facing with regards to governance, you know, because that is it is the world of that, that we kind of inhabit at the moment and creating these amazing experiences where their minds are not being put through this conditioning factory is the most radical incredible beautiful thing that we can be doing but also allowing those minds then to be part of okay this is what we're facing how do you think we could move through it and and as well just to say like with what you were mentioning about the observing thing like in play work we've got an official term for that and i don't know if you ever came across it within the theory that you studied but it's called adulteration uh -huh. um, and basically it's this it kind of in a very uh, obvious way it's like okay we're going to do an, a play activity now that i've kind of created and we're all going to have loads of fun but also it comes down to like in a really nuanced way this like power dynamic between adults and children that exists all the time. So even our presence in the space changes things. You know, the only time that young people are actually young people is when there's no adults. And it's what we used to do, you know, like when you were out playing, you know, when you called for your mates and you went to the woods, that was when you were being your truest self. And I fully agree that, you know, any kind of documentation that of the stuff that we've already talked about is going to take that away. You know, so I think if we can speak to the young people as well and see what they feel like we can come up with to to prove things, because like the thing is, like I'm not, I will always be an activist. You know, it's it's in my bones and it's in my blood, and I know that you're the same. I can feel that, and I think most you know most people that are unschooling are that, 
but the reality is at the moment we do live in this sort of system that does have a, an overarching power that has the power to take power from us so it's like how can we find these ways where we're not self-sacrificing and we're not sacrificing the young people so getting all this academic research that is now really coming through um you know being able to sort of push that out and at the moment like i'm in a group which is the it's through the alliance for self-directed education there's still lots of people doing this research at the moment and you know i think the the other thing is again it's this it's just this crazy like uh contradictory space that we exist within of like in order to prove that we don't need the schooling it has to you know for it to stand up in court it has to be some kind of recognized institution institutionalized piece of research you know to to yes yeah, just yeah, so this is what I wanted to talk to you about, because I think the way forward is sort of twofold and will depend on people's personal situations. Like some people will be really happy to document away, yeah. write all the notes, provide yeah. all this stuff. And other people um, might not be as confident in that. They might not be as able themselves to um, manage that for whatever reason. Um, they might have children, like I've said, you know, they might have children that really um are not in a space where that's going to <laughs> be possible um so the other way the other thing i wanted to talk to you about was this um research and being able to stand firm in what we're doing and why not just because um we are um you know child advocates yeah. uh, which many many of us are but actually because it is an educational philosophy that is grounded in research the grounding itself is in the fact that we um want our children to have this full creative and rich life um which they um have full autonomy over and we support them in um the research adds weight to that in in terms of um you know how that affects their education and their development for the better yeah. um so i wanted to talk to you about um that research and what what kind of research have you in your academia mm -hmm. um had access to or maybe people that you have had correspondence with or you've read about that support yeah. self-directed education yeah so i think the as i was saying before like at the beginning of my sort of journey within all of this summerhill was the my big introduction and you know for me summerhill especially when it was run by as neil you know was a living breathing social experiment in a way you know, and everything that was kind of brought forward from that, because he really questioned the philosophy that was at the core, you know, of education. And I think that's the that's the big thing that throughout my research has been the thing. It's like, what are we actually, what are we intending to come from this experience of school? You know, what is it? What is it about? Um, so yeah, so with A.S. Neal's work, you know, he he literally, he wrote so many books about what he was seeing and experiencing um, throughout the time that Summerhill was, 
you know first getting going and obviously it still exists now but it's quite different um but then also for me people like Ivan Illich um so this his lot he had lots and lots of theories but one of the the big theories that I got I think his one of the first books that I read was Deschooling Society and you know reading that book was just phenomenal because it really brought yeah. into perspective this whole thing of wow okay there's something there's something much deeper going on within schooling than what's going on in the surface one of the things that comes forward within that is this idea of the hidden curriculum and you know it's like we've got this twofold of transmission that's happening we've got here's everything that's on the surface here's the curriculum you know that we've kind of written down and labeled and but actually what's going on under the surface of that is that it's this absolute dictatorship you know on a sort of political level that we're receiving the transmission of so this idea that authority is external that you know the only valid information is what's been produced by this dictator that's literally stood at the front of the room you know stood whilst everybody else is sitting and when you pick all of that apart and this is kind of the way that my research journeyed it was more recognizing what's actually going on within schooling as it stands at the moment and and following that um one of the the things that i found really i can't remember the guy's name the guy that did the the experiment with computers in the indian uh, i know who you mean yeah um, i'll have a think it's his name <laughs> but anyway because I, I saw him talk at a conference and he basically they'd installed the computer that they had their university next to a, a slum in India and they just installed the computer through the little wall. So it just one day magically appeared in this Indian slum. They didn't give any kind of direction as to what to do with it. They just left it there and the children taught themselves through exploration and collaboration not only how to and this is when the computers and the internet were first becoming a thing as well so they taught themselves to turn on the computer to navigate it to open web pages to create documents to find like they, they everything that you can do with a computer they discovered themselves through exploration and this is then you know again where my background as a play worker and all of the playwork theory comes into it because like play and self-direction from a play from a playwork perspective and self-direction is the same thing so it's this idea that and it's not even an idea it's a proven phenomenon that when young people or any person is free to follow their own instincts and drive they learn and the guy's name with the hole in the wall is Sugata Mitra I looked him go. up um, <laughs> yeah so which is um if people haven't um seen it um, they should go and see it because it is fascinating. These these children that, um, to all intents and purposes from the outside, look like they may struggle. Yeah. Um, all gathering around this, it's called the hole in the wall with this PC in the wall, and that, you know they like right. They don't even turn the people that install the PC don't even turn the thing on. You know, they have to like right from the beginning work out how to turn it on and how to work it and how to operate it. And I think by the end, I'm sure, I'll have to go and watch it, but I am sure that by the end, one of the things that happens is the children have like taught themselves microbiology because they've done all this research 
about how plants work and the cell and the cell um, make the makeup of cells in plants and and all this um that might not even be microbiology I might have just given that a completely different name but I do <laughs> um but they they you know they go and learn something um, that's really um specialized yes. all by all by themselves yeah. um which is which is brilliant um you know and peter gray's theories around play and everything that he's brought forward as well has been really fundamental for me and again really aligns with the play work approach because it's and all of the theory around play work because it is literally you know it's this weird idea that we've got that like learning stops when you're out of school you know it's like we get to a certain age and then we stop it's like no we're all we're all learning all the time and i think the you know the internet is a really amazing resource that we all now have access to which kind of again takes away one of the big things that they say school exists for because everyone has got this opportunity to in a very self-directed way uncover whatever they want to uncover and to, to speak about the things that i saw when i was doing my research or just a couple of the things you know there was this amazing it was like everybody's genius got the opportunity to be because I, I genuinely believe that everyone's a genius and it's just being given the opportunity for us to be able to follow whatever our genius is and that gets led through that fiery passion that we've all got inside of us and one of the incredible things that I got to witness was that you know these young people because they were in you know there was in one of the schools in particular there was about 50 students that were there students in quotes young people that were there in you know one at one time and they were able just to follow their own drive so there may have been you know there was somebody there that was creating these like little miniature miniature things and from the miniatures they then made this stop motion animation all from their own drive because they desired to and they spent about six months on that project because they wanted to and they were given the space to be able to do that and the amount of different things that got brought into the picture through that you know the amount of different layers that they had to learn different skills that they had to develop because they wanted to that will then last forever you know because there's that when that passion's aligned they're off and i do want to say within that though that that isn't always the way you know and there were young people there that i met that you know, were not doing anything seemingly on the surface, but actually what was going on underneath the surface was that they were really finding who they are. And a lot of the time they'd come out of mainstream school and were in recovery <laughs> because they'd been through this horrendous, traumatic, really normalized experience of school. And all of a sudden there wasn't somebody stabbing them to try and get them to do something. So they were able just to breathe a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you said seemingly doing nothing because I'm forever saying it's impossible to do nothing. And like even if children or young people or ourselves are to all intents and purposes look like we're doing nothing, there's so much internal work going on. And like you say, for children that have just come out of the, the school system, there's a massive amount of internal work going on because they have so much to process that they haven't had time to process before um, and not just um, academics but the way they were maybe spoken to the social situations that they were put in um, the way they were 
um, treated as less than or not listened to when they had things to say. Um, oh, the list, the list, go, <laughs> the list goes on really. Um, but also one of the things that children have to do when, or the process that children go through and young people go through when they've not been in school is that they have in school been told from sort of 9am to 3pm what to do, how to do it, when to do it, how long to spend on it, then to assess, they literally micromanage the whole time. And then to come into a space where they are maybe expected to decide for themselves, that's a really big, that's a really big leap. Um, so that that time that, that that they take to process all of that and and to um you know it's just a lot going on isn't it but then it, but you know then there's there's people you know i i can't look at anyone now and say they're doing nothing um or look at anyone and say oh they're being lazy because something's going on you know maybe last week they had a really intense week maybe a really physically intense week or a um cognitively intense week and this week um they're they're processing all that you know there's something going on they just need to um whatever reason I don't really care anymore um you know I just accept that there is something there is a reason for that um and sometimes like you say you can have intense months and months and months where you're really you're working on a project um that's a very schoolish term isn't it project you're working on a, a project you're doing your thing it's really intense you're lapping it up you're doing all the research you're buying all the things you're watching all the youtube videos you're creating stuff um but equally you can have really long periods of time six months or more um where it appears that you're doing very little um so i'm going to mention gina riley's work because last year she um published an entire work um which i did a podcast with her on and i can't remember what it's called <laughs> <laughs> um it's an entire academic book um about specifically about unschooling it's a proper um you know like a text big academic textbook uh work and that has so she does a lot of work um looking at self-directed education and um, unschooling and she unschooled her own child as well um all the way through right up into adulthood um, so I've got a lovely podcast with with um, her. So the research is the research is out there, and I think it's one of the things. Um, so I am going to mention Rose um, because um, she has a website called Suitable Education, and she um, you know pulls in lots of research there. So it's it's all there. So one of the things I think off the back of this judicial review is that it might people need to do what they feel comfortable with um but that it is there the information is there um standing um firm in our educational choices for our children because the alternative for me is yeah not not what i want for my children which is why i chose home education in the first place okay. You know, and it's it's wonderful as well, I think, from, you know, even you as a sort of living example of somebody that is, you know, in a, a qualified teacher, you've done the whole shebang and actually you've chosen then to unschool your children the whole way through and you've now got a 14-year-old? Yeah, yeah, my oldest is 14. So two have kind of 
you know and, and i think this is the other thing of like is there's an interesting thing that comes through feminist theory which is basically and again this is all the different things that we can sort of pull from but the idea that you know the the only valid accounts and the only valid research comes through essentially a, a white middle class man but you know the reality is that everybody's experiences are it's all research isn't it it's all human research and you know it's maybe there's a place to be able to lean on you know feminist theory to say look you know it's not there's a whole body of academia that has brought forward now the idea that it's not just about, you know, having the credentials and being a certain race or class for you, you know, for what you're saying to be valid. You know, there's a all it's all it's all valid. And another thing that I kind of saw within my research as well, which might be a, a good thing to to lean on is, you know, young people that have kind of come through these self-directed childhoods and to to speak to them you know and to kind of have their accounts as evidence you know for because of the, there's this weird thing in there like if we if we do the whole traditional route you go through school and then you get to 18 and you spat out maybe you get to 16 and you spat out regardless of when it happens and then you know most people at that point have no idea what they want to do and you've got these young people that go to university and they've just kind of picked a topic and they don't really know what they're doing with it and then they get to 21 and they graduate and then they don't really know what they're doing with it you know and so it's like this whole thing of like finding finding what you actually enjoy and what you want to pursue i would say is the purpose of education if we're wanting to put a purpose in pushing people to do something and the only way to do that is through self-direction isn't it like it's i think that's the quickest route to get to it <laughs> rather than spending you know 12 plus years in education and then um you, you like you say you come out the other side you're still not sure um and and like you say about the hidden curriculum you might by that point have have buried that so far down um that you don't even know um and or believe those voices that have told you for so long doesn't matter you need to be doing this because you're constantly in school being told what you need to be doing. You're completely lost when you're out in the world and not being told what you need to be doing. Um, or that things or that other things are important. So like you were saying about meritocracy, you know, other things are important, like the amount of money you earn, the place you live, um, yeah. the status you've got. So you seek those things because you think those things are the things that are going to be important. And those are the things that are going to fulfill you when actually what's happening is you are increasingly out of alignment with yourself um and in, and causing yourself um you know which obviously ma then manifests itself in a whole host of ways you know you know well we could list the ways um but not not good ways um ways that usually need some form of medical treatment or therapy um <laughs> um, but can have devastating effects on somebody's life or at the very least make you miserable you know who wants to live a miserable life that's not that's not the purpose of purpose of life at all um and i think unschooling is that's one of the things that unschooling hopefully overcomes but like you say we need to find people that have been unschooled um and talk to them so talking of which i've done two interviews with two grown <laughs> unschoolers i'm 
always on the um, lookout for anyone else who uh, feels able to, because of course not everyone feels, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's their private story, isn't it? And that and you have to respect them for that. Um, people don't want to be put up on a pedestal and and looked at all the time. Um, but at the same time, those who feel able to, it, they're really valid and valuable um, for this is it. Those of us that want to continue unschooling in the future. Something else I wanted to mention in just it's more of a I think with everything that's happened with the lockdowns and all the rest of it, I think it's been quite an interesting reveal of what happens when everyone's used to being told what to do all the time in a sort of work capacity and then suddenly that's gone. You know, I think there was a real for the people that have kind of progressed through school and then gone into a job where their entire life has been kind of here's what you need to do today and here's what it needs to look like and da 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 da. Then with everything that's happened, just kind of seeing how, I know that there've been so many different aspects to why it's been horrendous, you know, on a global scale. Um, And I know there are many reasons why people have struggled, but I think that's also been a really big part of it of like, wow, the meaning's gone because nobody's telling me what to do. You know, whereas a lot of the more self-directed people that I know, you know, and and people that are self-employed and young people that are unschooled, even though there's been restrictions on what we're able to do, that drive, because the drive hasn't been dismantled to do things, you know, or create things or not do anything, but that sense of fulfillment that comes through having the that power in your own hands, I think has been it's just it seemed to highlight it all for me really strongly over the past couple of years as to yeah I mean I mean in our house my guys um you know there was a sense where we had to adjust to you know not going out basically you know that lockdown um but things we didn't have to adjust to was being together as a family yes we didn't have to adjust to that that was something that I really noticed about um you know particularly in lockdown when schools locked down and and people weren't um going to work and that that was a massive adjustment for some families Mm -hmm. um not just the logistics because we had to go through the logistics of us being in the house all the time and my husband suddenly worked from home so there were some like practical things that we had to um address Mm -hmm. but actually the logistics of being together physically together um all the time some families really struggled with that element um and of course we but one of the things I noticed with my guys was although we had this obviously this restriction that we couldn't go out um we were being asked to to stay in and um that my kids were really creative and they just sort of like it wasn't a mess it wasn't they didn't see it as restrictive in the same way they just saw it as a way of like well then we'll do this instead you know and they explored other things um because they still had that drive to learn and create and and explore things they just found different ways of doing it but like you say one of the things we noticed with others um was that because that had been taken away they were suddenly like well what do we do like and how and how do we do it um they didn't because they didn't have someone telling them um I guess 
you know, a bit like I was saying earlier about when kids come out of school, that sudden, you know, pulling the rug out from underneath you, like, well, hang on, no one's telling me what to do. What, what, what do I do? I don't, I've never had to exercise this. Is it? Or I don't even know where this drive is anymore. What is this drive you talk about? What is this self-motivation that you yeah. that you talk about? Um, and this, this just to say within that as well, there's another kind of sort of thread of a theory that I've really explored is anarchist theory. And I don't mean anarchist in like skinheads and fighting, which is often what comes to mind, I think, for people when they hear that. But it's this idea of, you know, what happens when you have a group of self-directed people. And there's a guy called Colin Ward, who's a really amazing anarchist theorist. And he talks about many, many different fascinating things. But one of the, the things that he put like puts forward is that anarchism is happening all of the time underneath the surface. So underneath the surface of the systems and these external control systems that have been created, it's always anarchy. and he kind of puts this idea that, you know, internally our nature is, is very pure and we will collaborate, you know, and this idea of self-governance doesn't mean that we're going to then hurt one another. You know, it's not that these rules that we have in place stop people from doing that because, you know, these rules exist and people still hurt one another. But this idea that, you know, when self-directed people are really connected, then we move into collaboration. And that's his, you know, the, the whole thing of anarchy. It's not this idea that there's loads of individual people living in bubbles. It's just that there isn't a force stronger that is forcing anything and that we naturally find our way to sort of collaborate and come together. And I think there's something in, especially within unschooling and again, developing that self-directed drive or allowing that self-directed drive, that means that there's like this confidence to be able to collaborate, you know, in and work with one another, work, you know, in inverted commas, but come together with other people, you know, because there's not that, yeah, there's not been that massive push for it to be any other way. Which is really interesting because that's one of the things Peter Gray talks about when he talks about defining play, that children naturally collaborate and that the way that they work together um, and interact with each other is in collaboration. So it would make complete sense that that then, you know, if, if that was allowed, if that was nurtured and allowed to develop and grow naturally, that that would become, you know, the same thing, but amongst adults, yes. that that collaboration wouldn't f fall apart, that actually yes. it, it would be stronger and that we would, um, be it would be a stronger skill it would be a skill that we had developed that's what I mean so like my work now because I've been working as a therapist for quite a few years and supporting people to work with like shadow work and basically dismantle all the things that were built from trauma that's kind of been where I've been focusing and now with my work moving forward I want to work with parents to de-school themselves essentially like parents that's that effectively what I do yeah is it yeah, so my my work with parents, I do um, I do mentoring and I do um, courses, but it's all about this is it de-schooling yourself and you know changing what we know about education. Yeah, um, completely. So. It's the key, isn't it? And I think yeah. it's such a I don't know to deconstruct 
is just as important as reading the books and you know bringing in the new things because if we've been conditioned in a certain way it doesn't matter how much we know what it should be like you know if we're going to operate from a centered place we've got to strip back what what was built in the first place haven't we yeah so a lot of what i do is working with people to sort of align what they know in their gut which is often what they realize about I don't want my child to be in this place I don't want my child you know in school I don't want my child to feel this way and that you know that that gut instinct that they have um and align that with their heart knowledge which is where they're at in terms of their um you know their conditioning um and align it with their head knowledge which is all that stuff about you know what do I know to be true can we dismantle that can we replace it with um and maybe they already know maybe they've already some of them have already read peter gray's work so their head knowledge and their gut knowledge is like there but their heart they're still fighting because they can't see a way forward that isn't school um so yeah so sort of align you know helping people to align all that really really stuff yeah um so yeah so i spent that's what i that's my face-to-face work yeah um yeah, one of the other I'm just going to keep on talking now. One of the other things I was going to say in terms of the the review as well, um, and in terms of not being reactive, like instantaneously reactive, um, was to wait and see how individual local authorities reacted and responded. Um, because, like you say, it was you know that idea that um, you know we should be pre- be prepared. Um, to make a stand but not so much that we're actually putting ourselves at a disadvantage Um, so to wait until your you know local authorities and see how they respond which I'm fairly sure will depend on the local authority Um, but I think it would be wise I think it would be wise to wait for things to happen that way around rather than to go in all guns blazing and then and then discover that your local authority wasn't going to pay or we're going to continue in the you know some local authorities are really happy to accept reports and to trust parents and if that's the case then hooray (laughs) don't go in there all guns blazing um when they are really working you know in yeah. partnership with home educators um and I think within that as well just to kind of speak back into the shadow work side of things because I think personal development for us all in the sense of our conditioning and our fear responses is really really important and you know if there is if there are people in a lot of fear right now you know maybe as ironic as it might sound to focus on that you know as opposed to the action to kind of rectify it in a what are we going to do way you know maybe go back into okay where is that how do I feel that feeling in my body when have I felt that feeling in the past and you know maybe identify the experiences that we've had in the past where that fear was kind of created and try and settle it and soothe it that way and then wait like you say because I think that's one of the things in the waiting 
sometimes I can I sometimes get like this in in relationships it's like if the person if the person that I like hasn't replied and I'm in that waiting space I'm then like oh I need to do something right what I'm gonna do oh I'm gonna get in touch with them and I'm gonna make it all weird or and that kind of same thing of like actually just sit with the fear wait and then respond you know as opposed to reacting like responding together as well you know with other people in the local area and just not stepping forward even if they do if you local council and local authority say that this is this new way again just sort of taking a beat and gently gently stepping forward after not feeling in super panic mode i think is a really wise wise way to step forward into it all yeah i agree and one of the things that i've done this week actually is um really focusing on my children like what's going on in front of me which is a really um unschooling thing to do like what's going on in front of me in this moment in time in this space with my children and really being present in that moment and you know embracing all that that has to offer and not letting that external panic and fear impact what is actually um going on in our families which as we've sp spoken a lot about um you know that's not an easy that's not an easy thing to do at the moment um but for us to try and refocus on or at least spend some time focusing on the good things that are happening we're still here um we're still you know unschooling my children are happy we're living and learning we're all good in this moment right now before us and to spend time really um really present in that moment and allowing that to you know sort of wash over us a little um and maybe help to release some of that fear that we maybe are feeling thank you for joining me it really has been lovely um to meet you and lovely to have this conversation and i hope that people move away um from this podcast with maybe some um tools up their sleeve i'm going to put lots of things in the show notes that we um referred to particularly um some of the research work that we've talked about um and maybe drawing strength from the fact that there are other people out there that are willing to pull together their resources and for us to support um each other in whatever the future may hold and listeners can join me again next month in the next episode when i will be having another um conversation from an unschooling perspective with another amazing guest um yeah it was lovely to meet you thank you i do thanks a lot bye